Hey there, Brenda. It's Carol. Exactly. So which leg are we operating on? You mean arm. It's all connected. Asking the right question can greatly impact your future. Are you sure you're an orthopedist? Actually, I'm a Sagittarius. Especially when it comes to your finances. Do you have a question? Are you a certified financial planner? Yes, I'm a CFP professional. CFP professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man that rightfully so describes himself as a young, bearded Rockefeller. He is the captain. Because I'm getting money like a bank teller. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Tonight we are drinking Pallet Jack by the hardworking people at Barley Browns in beautiful Baker City, Oregon. Garage grade, four out of five bottle caps. A blend of three hops make up this IPA with flavors of citrus, tropical fruit, and a little bit of pine. And Pallet Jack was brought to us by you wonderful listeners and these hardworking people. First up, we have Kaylin, who says, Words cannot describe how much I love your show, but beer can. And a big cheers, mates, to Adam in Melbourne, Australia. Next, we have KB Frizzle from Chicago, who says, Nick is a geek. <laughs> from Chicago. All right, a big shout out to Keeley in Calgary, Canada. And last but not least, we have Matt from Walnut Tree, Buckinghamshire, United Kingdom. So thanks, everybody, for filling up the fridge for this week's show. And if you want to buy us around, if you want to buy this geek a beer for next week's show, go to truecrimegarage.com and click on the donate button. If you'd like to follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you can find us at True Crime Garage. All right, that's enough of the business. Everybody gather around, grab a chair, be a dork, be a geek. (laughs) Let's talk some true crime. As we sit here today, Captain, young Kyron Horman, he has been missing for seven years. He's been missing since that last day that he was seen at his school on a Friday, June 4th, 2010. Last spotted by his stepmother, who said that she saw him walking to his classroom. He's reported missing, and now we're left here, Captain, 
wondering what happened to this little boy. Really, when you when you narrow it down, there are three options, okay. right? We have option A, Kyron, the little boy, left left the school on his own, wandered off somewhere. There was yeah. eight access points in and out of this school building. He was spotted near one of those at the around the last time that he was seen. Um, we also have option B, that he was taken by a total stranger. And option C, that somebody within his inner circle is responsible for why he disappeared. Well, the search effort was huge. Yeah. And it happened quickly. And so it seems like option A doesn't make a lot of sense. I think we would have found him by now. And even if he left the school and an accident happened, I think we would have found his body by now. Yeah, because we have a situation, like you said, very quickly after he went missing, within seven or eight hours, the searches, the searchers are out. And the initial search lasted over 10 days and was regarded as one of the largest in the state's history, uh, with more than 1,300 people from Oregon, Washington, and Northern California looking for the boy. Uh, they checked a two-mile radius around the Skyline School that he attended and also parts of Savi Island. We both agree that theory A with Kyron just leaving doesn't make a lot of sense, but theory B, somebody grabbing him, could be a good possibility. Yeah. Well, and we have this situation here, Captain, which it it sucks. I mean, to, to sum it up in into one big word, it sucks. Because mm-hmm. what's going on that day, it's a very, very busy day at that school. Uh, regarded by most of the teachers as the busiest day of their school year. Yeah. It's their science fair in the morning, and then we have a talent show in the afternoon. And guess what? If you are some terrible person and you're looking to grab a kid, well, there's a big sign out in front of the school that says, on this date, we're having a science fair from this hour to this hour. And we're having a talent show from this hour to this hour. The school is basically open, somewhat open to the public. I mean, they're not expecting random people to just walk in the school, but they have the school open at this time, open early so that parents and students can tour the science fair. Yeah. And I'd argue that maybe it's not some random person because yeah, they're, they're advertising that there's a science fair, but you don't know how, heavily chaperoned this is going to be. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it is up open to the public. The other thing too, is if you had any information about the students and about the school, you'd also know that the school wasn't under surveillance. Mm -hmm. So that gives you a opportune window. Yes. And the thing here is though, while this is a possible scenario, it seems, it does seem a little unlikely to me. And, and I'll tell you why. Okay, he's he's seven. We have a seven-year-old boy. We have no evidence leading us down this road. We have nobody saying, you know, I saw Kyron with some strange person, or I or he was heard yelling and screaming because somebody grabbed him and pulled them into his vehicle. Yeah, you would think that this would be a safe place for Kyron. Mm-hmm. So if somebody did grab him, that he would feel safe enough to be able to scream for help. Uh, so the likelihood that there's all these eyewitnesses that didn't see uh, Kyron leaving with some strange person, mm-hmm. it's kind of weird. Yeah. And I, and I know there's people out there listening that are going, you know, he's only seven and yes, we've covered cases before. And so it is a possibility that he could have been lured to somebody's vehicle that he got into the vehicle willingly. He is only seven. Um, that is somewhat of a possibility, but I think the obvious possibility 
and most likely possibility here. And it seemed to be what the police really honed in on early into the investigation and search for Kyron is that somebody within his inner circle was involved in this disappearance. Well, and with all these allegations and weird speculations about the stepmother, it's kind of clear that we need to dive into her as a possible suspect. I agree. And I think we'll, what we should do is just kind of point out the different suspicious behaviors along the way and kind of dive into those as they as we go through our list here. Now, just to be clear, she has never been named a suspect, uh, but she has never been cleared as well. Correct. So as we said, the police became suspicious when they searched uh, Terry Horman's cellular phone records And it was revealed that she wasn't where she said she was the morning that Kyron disappeared. Mm -hmm. This is what led to the whole Savi Island thing, which is about five, six miles from Kyron's school. This led to a massive search of the island for the missing boy. But again, no trace of Kyron. And with this piece of evidence, it made me wonder, was it just an area that you would drive onto and you wouldn't know? But our listeners have reached out and said, hey, if you know that area and you know Savi Island, that once you're on it, you know you're on the island. Yeah. Yeah, and just to be clear, it's a river island, but it is a rather large uh, piece of land. Uh, but like you said, and, and like we speculated in episode one, it would be tough to end up on an island accidentally and not be able to recall that you were there. Now, Terry's statements, the stepmom's statements to police, indicate that after leaving the school at 8.45 a.m., the day that Kyron went missing, she ran errands at a local grocery store. This is the Fred Meyer store until about 10, 10 a.m. Mm-hmm. And then from 10, 10 a.m. to eleven thirty nine a.m., she states that she drove her daughter around town in, a, in an attempt to use the motion of the vehicle to soothe the toddler's earache. Um, Terry then went to a local gym at approximately eleven thirty nine a.m., and she says that she worked out that day until about 12.40 p.m. By 1.21, she had arrived home. Some other information that we kind of asked for from you guys was, is it odd to drive a kid around that long? It's kind of half and half. Some people said, oh, that's not that long, especially if the kid is sick. Maybe you drive around longer. And then the other half would say, that is way too long. Um, so where was, was she driving around? We're not really for sure, but what is odd about this and what so many listeners pointed out was your kid is sick, you drive your kid around for an hour and a half, and then you decide to take the kid to the gym with you. Right. It seems like you're, if your kid is that sick that you're skipping the gym and just heading home. Yeah, so I, I love that response that we got from the listeners because that's a very big question mark. You don't drive that kid around for an hour and a half and then put her in the, the daycare center at the gym to be amongst other kids. If this kid was so uncomfortable and so sick and you were truly worried trying to soothe this sick child, you're taking that child home after you after you get her to fall asleep. Or, like other listeners pointed out, you would continue driving around so the, the child would sleep as long as possible. This, obvious, obviously, Captain, leaves us with quite a window of time where something could have happened, where yeah. she could have been not where she said she was. And then there's also a little dispute about actually how long she was at the gym. We know that she was at the gym at 1139 because she has to check in. The problem is we have other people saying, mm, I did see her at the gym, but I don't, I don't remember seeing her for an hour. 
I don't remember seeing her after noon, right. uh, where she says that she was there till 1240 PM. This is another window of time where something could have happened. Yeah. It's weird with the eyewitness accounts of her being at the grocery store and the eyewitness accounts of saying that she was at the gym again, makes me wonder, is she trying to establish a alibi? Mm-hmm. Well, and I'll tell you what here, Captain, I think for this one, if you want to keep score at home or you're keeping score in your garage regarding Terry's involvement in Kyron's disappearance, mm-hmm. I think for the, the for this portion, for her whereabouts and what she was actually doing that day, look, I, I, I have to believe that this points a little more towards the end of she was involved in this. I can't I can't give her a check mark for nope, this clears her. You know, nope, she wasn't involved. I, I'm a, I'm not ready to finalize that pencil mark yet, but I think it leans in the direction of her questionable be, questionable behavior and me questioning where she actually was that day. Yeah, I agree. The second item that I wanted to get to is that she was interrogated by detectives, um, and we know that she was questioned several times uh, for several hours. They were also looking for physical evidence of foul play in the vehicle that she was driving that day. Remember, she was driving Kane's truck uh, when she dropped Kyron off at school. Um, a lot of people would say that this points to her being suspicious and to being being guilty of something. The problem here is um, they found nothing incriminating after all those searches and all those times questioning her. Yeah, which would point in her favor. Yeah, let's give her a check mark in her favor there. Then third, we have... She reportedly took and failed two polygraph tests. Right, and then she denied a third one. Yeah, this does not look good for her at all, in my opinion. We heard her defend herself, stating that she could not hear the person very well that was administering the test. What? Uh, She then said that the second test she failed because it seemed like they were rushing her through the test, that, Mm -hmm. that they didn't conduct it properly. But then you have a third time where she just all out refuses to take the test. This is certainly a check mark against Terry Horman. Yeah, I agree for the most part, but again, I don't know the extent of her hearing issue and we've we've heard from experts that if you have a hearing problem, this could really affect the results of a polygraph test. So mm-hmm. again, I you know, but it's hard to believe what she says because she is a known liar. She is a known cheater. And uh, I don't agree with those things. This to me, and I agree with you, Captain, and the expert is right. But this points to me as the first signs, obvious signs, that's told to the public of her not cooperating in the investigation. And, you know, I'm always very suspicious, and I think we all should be, of anybody that's not cooperating in an investigation. Yeah, I agree again, (laughs) not fully, because... Yes, I think you should cooperate with law enforcement. I think you should tell them any information that you know. But there's a difference between them asking you questions and then them throwing shade your way. Mm -hmm. And I think if they're doing so, I mean, it's the smartest move. Lawyer up. Um, That doesn't mean that that you can't cooperate. That doesn't mean that you can't talk with law enforcement. But you're going to do so in the presence of your... um, Because you're going to be able to tell your story to your lawyer. And based on what you tell your lawyer... They're going to know what they can, uh, what you should share with law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Well, and then here's the big one. Here's the big marker right here. Everybody 
the Let's, big turtle. Yeah, we got a giant red neon arrow pointing to this situation. So 22 days after Kyron's disappearance, detectives told Kane Horman, Kyron's father, that his wife, Terry, about five months before Kyron went missing, had asked a landscaper named Rodolfo Sanchez to mm-hmm. kill her husband. So you picturing this situation. Thank you, Mr. Sanchez, for coming out to my property today. I would like for you to edge the flower beds, cut the grass, and roll my husband up in this rug and dump him in a landfill. Mm-hmm. And then Kane was like, we have a landscaper? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. This is the this is the piece of evidence. Like if somebody said to me right now, like I can have a question answered. I mean, obviously the, you know, where is Kyron? That would be the main question. But if I couldn't have that answered mm-hmm. and I just needed to have a few things answered to lead me to the truth, this would be the one. Yeah. This is the one because, and you actually brought it up. And I don't like to admit when you do smart things. Right? Okay. But it was something I didn't think about at all. And as we have dove into, it seems like hundreds of cases now that, I, you know, it's something that you would think that I would have learned through time. But this is a big key. People throw this girl under the bus all the time. And yeah, she has done some shady things morally, but this is the one where they go, if she's capable of trying to hire somebody to murder her husband, then she's capable of kidnapping and possibly murdering her stepson or hiring somebody to do it. Mm -hmm. So, but here's the problem that I have with it. And I never would have thought of it unless you came up with the idea was the cops do not tell Kane about this till after the guy goes missing. Right. So then when did the landscaper report this to the cops? Did he report it to him five months ago or did he see something on the news and said, Oh my God, this kid went missing. That's the lady that tried to hire me to kill her husband. Right. And I'm glad you opened up that door because we did speak about this and we've touched upon this in the previous episodes there's so many different versions of this story out there that it's very confusing. And the best that I can nail it down, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I've thrown out a lot of junk over the last days mm-hmm. on this case and regarding this story, but the best I can nail it down is this is how the situation worked, okay? The police were not told of this murder-for-hire plot until after Kyron had disappeared. Yes, this, uh, he goes by Rudy. So we'll go, we'll say Rudy Sanchez. Rudy, 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 Rudy. Yeah. I believe that's his nickname. And he, he approached the police and said, look, the lady on the news th- that's, you know, involved in this family with this mm-hmm. disappearance, um, she tried to hire me to kill her husband. Okay. Well, how do you know this lady, Terry Horman? Um, well, I worked for her yeah. and that was a debate that you and I had had because, when you hear the word landscaper and somebody worked for somebody, you automatic automatically kind of assume that it's kind of some time Weekly. some type of long term yeah. uh, interaction or agreement that they have. Um, and then we have Kane who says, "Well, I didn't even know we had a landscaper." Yeah. So the situation is this: they actually had a fairly big property. I believe it was about two and a half to three acres, and. It sounds to me like Kane had decided that James, James being a teenager, mm-hmm. this is Terry's biological son and Kane's stepson. 
he's decided that James should be responsible for the yard work, for the maintenance of this property. Well, I guess Terry decided that this is too big of a chore for a child. Yes, he's a teenager, but he's still a child. And I think that she probably felt that this was unfair. And so unbeknownst to her husband, she hired this landscaper to do a lot of the maintenance on the property. She probably kept him working there, you know, when her husband wasn't there. Right. Um, And it was probably just as simple as that. This, I don't know what this all entailed. It could have been a situation where he only worked for her a handful of days, um, or it could have been something a little more long-term. Now, the the way that the story goes, according to Mr. Sanchez, is that she had met him at a restaurant where there she was speaking to him about her husband, Kane, and she tells Mr. Sanchez that Kane is mentally and physically abusive to her. And at some point, she starts telling him that, you know, Kane carries about $10,000 cash on him at all times. And he also has a laptop that he walks around with. You know, somebody could kill him and make it look like a mugging and run off with that money. Now, the problem here is when, when pressed further by the police, Mr. Sanchez does state, at no time did she ever technically offer me money to kill her husband. Right. At no time does she say the words, I will give you $10,000 if you murder my husband. No, he just says she kept kind of implying it. She kept kind of leading me down that road. Now, they don't have a chance to investigate this, obviously, until after Kyron has disappeared. By this point, she's probably, Terry's probably on high alert. They send in some guy, you know, an undercover dude, bit of a sting operation to try to talk to Terry again about this murder for hire plot. And she basically jumps out of the situation and says, I don't know what you're talking about. I want nothing to do with this. Right. So again, if, if this thing went down, she gets out of it pretty easy. Yeah. Or she had nothing to do with it. Right. I mean, there is a possibility that she hired this guy. she said a couple stupid things to him and he took the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Uh, he didn't, if he really felt strongly about it, I think he would have came to the police before. And then we've seen multiple times with missing person cases. And especially when it's a missing kid case, some weird people get involved. Yeah, I agree. Well, Mr. Sanchez says that, you know, not only did she use this, uh, Kane always has $10,000 on him approach, uh, to trying to convince him to kill Kane, but she also used her sexuality and, you know, bringing up the fact that, her well, not the fact, titties. but bringing up her story of Kane being an abusive person. Now, on, on Terry's side, in her defense, what she would say regarding this is that the relationship with the landscaper, their, their you know, working relationship together ended when she turned down sexual advances by Mr. Sanchez. And she also states that she could at most times could not understand Mr. Sanchez. There was a, you know, things that would get lost in translation, let's say. Well, and also she possibly has bad hearing. Yeah. And so she couldn't understand him. And she believed that there were many times that they had conversations where he could not understand her as well. And I think this piece of evidence for me, if this came out, or the police were notified about this five months before the kid went missing, then I'd, I'd believe it more. 
I'm not saying that I don't believe it, but I just believe it more. Yeah. Well, I wish it had come out five months before uh, Kyron went missing because I have a feeling that had it, we might not be sitting here looking for Kyron at this point. Right. And the other tough thing about this too is from the, you know, from the get go of the investigation, uh, Kane, you know, Terry's husband is adamant that she had nothing to do with it and showed no signs of ever being capable of doing something like this. Mm -hmm. Um, the other thing though, too, I wish that somewhere somebody would be able to come out and say, you know what? I saw Mr. Sanchez and Terry Horman together at a restaurant. I wish somebody would, if that happened and somebody spotted them, um, you know, I wish we would have somebody saying that because to me, there's no reason for a landscaper in the person that hires him to be together at a restaurant. What about the delicious meals? There's still no reason. I, you know, I worked as a landscaper for a couple of years, Captain. Nobody ever invited me <laughs> to have a lunch or a dinner with them. But I'm a geek, so why, <laughs> why would that happen? All right, more about this right after this quick beer break. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I highly recommend that you give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com garage today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash garage. This show is proudly sponsored by BetterHelp. Check out BetterHelp.com slash garage today. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age 
or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners, get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com garage. Visit IXL.com garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com garage today. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Right, cheers, mates. We're back. Okay, on Wednesday, July 21st, 2010, so this is just, what, about six weeks after Kyron Horman disappeared, law enforcement is putting pressure on Terry's small circle of friends. This includes 43-year-old D.D. Spicer. Investigators search Spicer's condominium and have interviewed people who saw Spicer on June 4th, the day that Kyron disappeared. Now, just two days later... On July 23rd, detectives investigating the disappearance of Kyron announced that D.D. Spicer 
was doing gardening work for a Northwest Portland homeowner on June 4th, but she had abruptly left the house at about 11.30 a.m., and she did not return until about an hour to 90 minutes later. Another person working at the home called Spicer to come in for lunch, and the homeowner called Spicer on her cell phone, but she wasn't able to reach her. Detectives have questioned both the homeowner and other persons who were working at the home that day. Okay, so we have a small circle of friends for Terry Horman. And now we have this this woman, Dee Dee Spicer, who is unaccounted for for about an hour to 90 minutes during the day that Kyron had disappeared. Yeah, which is, it, it's odd. The problem here, though, is that he did go to school. We do have some eyewitnesses of seeing Terry after she left the school. Mm-hmm. Right, but I think the big problem here is that that we are told that she left the home around 11.30 a.m. This presents a problem with Terry's story of what was going on that day. Because at this time, she would have been near the end of her trip of driving her daughter around for about an hour and a half to get the kid to fall asleep. Okay, and then shortly afterwards, she's seen at the gym with her daughter. And then we have have this little little 10-minute five to 10 minute overlap of Dee Dee Spicer when she first goes unaccounted for that day mm-hmm. towards the end of Terry's time where she's unaccounted for. And then we have Dee Dee who's gone for about an hour to 90 minutes. Right. But the tough thing for me is what did Terry, if she took Kyron, where was Kyron while she was at the store? Mm-hmm. Where was Kyron when she's driving around uh, the daughter? Was he injured? Did she hurt him? You know, they they searched the car. There's no evidence of her driving around a dead body. Right. This lady has to be crazy enough to help you hide the body of your of your stepson. That mm-hmm. seems like a pretty far leap. I know that there's some crazy people out there, but and we don't really know much about her other than she's friends. She's gave her some bad advice. She's bought some, I believe she bought some cell phones for her mm-hmm. so she could like talk to people without being traced, which I think is kind of shady. We don't know a lot about her. So to just call her like, oh, well, she's crazy enough to help hide this kid. Right. But we would still like to know where she was during this hour. Oh, during I definitely would minutes. like to know. And again, it's backing right up to the time that Terry is gone for the day. Now, so in her defense, um, she states that the the calls went to her voicemail uh, by the homeowner and by the person working on the property um, because she had left her phone in her car. Um, the situation is this, too. This is a large property. This is like a 38-acre property. Right. There's a chance, you know, I, 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 I'm a little uncertain what this means when it says she abruptly left the house at about 11.30 a.m. Well, did she leave the property? Right. Um, She could have very well have been on the property, cell phone in her car, and not able to take these phone calls. And I wish we had, like, cell phone pings to prove whether or not that phone was at least on the property. Yeah, and we have a situation where we don't seem to have any communication between the two of them during this time frame. Yeah, but that would be a smart plan. Hey, we got a plan, and by the way, don't talk to each other. Yeah, just stick to the plan. 
uh, assume I'm going to be where I say I'm going to be at this time. You be where I've asked you to be at the same time. I'll be in the garage. The following week, Dee Dee Spicer, uh, she appeared at the at the grand jury, in front of the grand jury, in response to a subpoena. Now, during this time, Captain, she's asked several questions where she, you know, she pulls the old Fifth Amendment movement. You know, she says, mm-hmm. uh, you know, basically doesn't answer any of the questions. I played the Fifth. Yes, She's going to plead the fifth so she doesn't have to answer any of their questions. Now, in early August, we have searchers and investigators. They're searching a two-mile strip of old Germantown Road. Uh, This is not far from the home of D.D. Spicer. On Tuesday, August 17th, D.D. Spicer tells People Magazine that she did not leave the 38-acre property where she was working the day that Kyron Horman vanished. Right. Now, we have some of the people that worked there. Um, you know, as we said, she was unaccounted for during this hour to 90 minute time frame. Uh, it is believed that her vehicle, the DD Spicer's vehicle, never left the property. Her cell phone in, if we take her at her word, her cell phone in her vehicle. But we have people that have worked there had said that it's not impossible. It would not have been impossible for her to have taken another vehicle and left the property that day. Yeah, there's something fishy about D.D. Spicer. Yeah, well, let's talk about the cell phones. You brought it up. Let's talk about the burner phones or the prepaid cell phones. How you know? There's a million different things you can call them. But the situation is this. They were able to prove that on, on two occasions, mm-hmm. uh, at least three cell phones were purchased. Uh, these were prepaid cell phones. Uh, they were paid for with cash. And a fake name was used to purchase these phones. Um, it was, it's general knowledge that one of Terry Horman's friends was the purchaser uh, at least one of these locations of these cell phones. And I, I might not have been clear there, but what, but, <laughs> okay. so let me break it down a little easier. Okay. Break okay. it down. Break it down for us. On one occasion, there were two cell phones that were purchased mm-hmm. by a person using cash and a fake name. At another location, there was a single cell phone purchased using the same fake name and again with cash. I believe that they were able to link one of those purchases to one of Terry's friends. Okay, so here here's my thing with this burner phone. Mm-hmm. Little shady that you would want one if you're Terry that you'd want a burner phone, right? But right. But if you are a cheater maybe you're planning on trying to hook up with somebody else. Maybe you wouldn't want that monitored. Okay. Not that big of a deal. You're just a shady person and you have bad morals, but that would be a reason. Then you ask your friend to buy it for you. So you're not the one buying it. And then your friend uses a fake name. Now it's layer upon layer of shadiness, right? Now, the thing here is what we got to call into question is we know that one of her friends did one of those purchases. It's thought by law enforcement that the other purchase is, in fact, part of her circle as well, because the same fake name was used and the same method of payment was used. Now, we do know that these cell phones exist and we know that this happened. And why? Because we have D.D. Spicer and we have Terry Horman who admit to using these phones. They say that, you know, we we're close friends. We were in contact with each other after the investigation started. We had, and these are um, Terry's words, that her phone had been flashed 
by police, meaning that they took her cell phone for a portion of time and they were able to, to trace its activity. Right. Um, so she says that these phones were used simply just for Dee Dee and her to communicate back and forth. Um, I believe that at some point a third name came out and I want to say it was Laura or Lauren. I don't have the name in front of me. Um, I don't know how concrete that was, but that's sort of thought where the third phone would have went. Um, but regarding, remember the sexting, the old text messages that we discussed regarding, uh, Michael cook, um, during those text messages at one point, Terry, you know, for anybody that still has a question, if she had this burner phone at one point, she says to Michael cook, Hey, I have a clean phone, right? Uh, would you prefer to communicate that way? Would you like to make my clean phone and dirty? him, him trying to continue the, uh, dirty talk jokingly says I have a dirty phone <laughs> and she doesn't really respond to that until he informs her that he was joking because right. now she's like, Oh crap. They're, they're monitoring his phone. Right. And he, and she says, do you think they're monitoring your phone? To which Michael says, I, I wouldn't think so, but I don't know how that works. Where Terry explains to him, they would have had to physically have taken your phone for a short period of time where they would have installed some kind of software, or some form of <laughs> yeah, monitoring I mean, his phone. For me with these burner front phones, again, it goes back to, even if it's as simple as I'm going through this process of an interrogation, I'm dealing with cops all the time. And maybe I just want to vent and be like, God, this one cop, he's he's kind of a jack wagon, right? And this other guy's a douche canoe. But you don't want to make it sound like you're bad-mouthing the cops because they're monitoring your calls. Mm-hmm. I get that. That's a reason. But you just have your friend go out and buy a burner phone using their name, use their credit card if you have to, give each other phones, and that's why you did it. You know. But using this fake name, like I said, it's layer upon layer of shadiness. Yeah, and regarding the questions that she had to answer in front of the grand jury that she did not, D.D. Spicer did not willingly answer, they were pretty softball questions, Captain. I don't have the list in front of me here, but the thing is, a lot of those questions um, were things that the police would be able to easily prove or disprove. Um, Things that don't seem to be may not be directly related to the disappearance of Kyron. And, and matter of fact, if Dee's not involved or Terry wasn't involved in this, then none of them would have anything to do with the disappearance of Kyron. Yeah. You know, I think one of it, one of the questions was, was as simple as this, you know, what has your friendship and relationship been like for the past six months with Terry Horman? I don't know that you need to plead the fifth on that one. And right. then another question of, well, maybe there was some, uh, sexual stuff going on. Yeah. Have, have you sent, sent or received any emails from Terry Horman after this date? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, plead the fifth, but guess what? That, that again, pretty easy to figure out if those emails, if that correspondence happened. Right. So Terry, the turtle does some shady things and Terry, the turtle has some shady friends and her scorecard is not looking very good for her right now on my garage scorecard here, captain. But we do have some events that took place regarding this that we should get to and we we want to make sure we mention the first being on june 1st of 2012 desiree young the biological mother of kyron filed a lawsuit against terry claiming that she was responsible for the disappearance of kyron seeking 10 million dollars in damages now 11 months later desiree would drop the lawsuit saying that she didn't want the civil action suit to jeopardize the police investigation into her son's case 
Then we have late 2013, a judge finalized the divorce between Kane and Terry Horman. Uh, but the couple still had to resolve the issue of who would take custody of the child. That took place the following year in 2014. Um, the ruling would be that the that Kane would gain custody of their five-year-old daughter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Terry would be able to visit the girl under court-ordered supervision. In August of 2014, Terry attempted to change her name to Claire Stella Sullivan. To Turd Ferguson. In court, she told the judge, Kyron Horman is missing. He needs to be found. I love my stepson. I want him home more than anything. Right. She also reminded the judge that she had not been the the last person to see Kyron alive, and her attorney could prove that. Now, the judge did deny her request to change her name, and I think that's smart. I mean, she's she's not been named a suspect, but guess what? When they're holding, when they've when they've collected a grand jury and they're presenting evidence to the grand jury, yeah, that means they're seeking to arrest and indict somebody right. on a charge. But she could be harmful to other people. She could be harmful to other children. Mm-hmm. And I think I think the thing here is the person that they were seeking charges on and an indictment against. Mm-hmm. It's obviously Terry Horman. We have in December of 2014. Uh, Terry began working for a, this is a care facility for mentally ill adults. Um, and she, she might, she might need to be in the facility. Yeah. She was a health support specialist. She quit working that job in 2015. That brings us to August of 2015 where Terry Horman is charged with having stolen a handgun mm. From her roommate. She lived with a man. Uh, he had a gun safe. I don't think it was a roommate, though. I think they were lovers. And one of his guns came up missing. Yes. And he said, you know what? I, I saw it in her possession. She stole my firearm. Well, and she wasn't going by Terry to this guy. I don't believe. She was going by Terry. She was going by her uh, maiden name. Right. Okay. She ended up stealing the gun, I think, right after he fi- found out that her stepson went missing. So like they were hanging out for a long period of time and she never brought this up. Yeah. Cause she had moved by this point. So this guy wasn't fully aware of this situation and fully aware of her background or involvement in this. Uh, right. So the story goes that he found out about this and I think questioned her and was like, Hey, look, a lot of people online think that you had something to do with it. And then all of a sudden she steals his gun. Mm hmm. Was she planning to try to get rid of this guy? I think there's only two. To me, unless somebody wants to try to come up with a great argument for another reason why, to me, there's only two two reasons that somebody steals a gun. A, to sell it. Or B, to use it to kill somebody and not have it be traced back to you. Right. Yeah, but what? Uh, another thing, too, and I don't know if you're going to bring this up in your notes, but... uh. Desiree does something that I thought was super awesome. Kyron's mother. Go ahead. Kyron's mother decides to go to the town that Terry moved to Mm -hmm. and start plastering missing person signs everywhere. Yes. Because she wanted everybody in that community to know what kind of person uh, Terry is. What do they call those? There are are people that have helped Desiree uh, kind of keep the spotlight on Terry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think I've heard them referred to as um, 
Desiree's Disciples. Mm. Uh, I, I, that's, uh, a, that's not the name I would pick. Here's the thing. I don't, Turtle Hunters. I, I see where one might applaud this. I, I, I do take a little issue with it. Um, at some point, somebody was placing these missing posters around her job as well. Right. Um, there's a little confusion as to why she quit. Um, and I, what I mean by confusion is this. We have the facility stating one reason why Terry quit working there. We have Terry stating another reason, stating that she was in fear for her life. Uh, she didn't want to go to work. She did try to put a restraining order on one of the women that was harassing her around her job and that was putting up these posters that that was denied by the judge. And that's when she quit. Right. Um, so that's more than likely the true reason why now regarding the gun charges though, um, this didn't end up going to court for quite some time, almost two years later, one, because she failed to appear in court. Um, and two, uh, they didn't end up resolving this situation until this year. The problem is captain that the charges, she's found not guilty of having stolen this handgun. Really? Hmm. That's weird. But this case is so tough for me because it all comes back to, did she try to hire somebody to kill her husband? Because if she didn't, and that was just some weird mix-up or some weird dude that just wanted to get involved in the story, I don't think a lot of this stuff would have been brought to light. I don't think we would have had all these fishy scenarios with Terry. Well, the thing here is that Terry, she hangs her hat on the fact that she has never been named a suspect. We hear it time and time again. Anytime she does an interview, it's always either started with or followed up by, I've never been named a suspect in the disappearance of Kyron Horman. Well, good for you. Okay, so let's talk about the, the, the sticky situations. We have the one, did she hire someone or attempt to hire someone to kill her husband. Mm -hmm. Was she involved in the disappearance of her stepson? Did she try to steal this gun? And if so, what what was she going to use it for? Well, we have two situations, the first two, where there are no charges brought up against her. She's right. She was not named a suspect. And we have the final one where the charges didn't stick. She gets a not guilty verdict. I'm going to call Terry Harmon the Teflon stepmom because nothing sticks to this woman. All right. But I think the thing here is to, I think I'm going to throw all those things out the window. There's a possibility that she's guilty of one of those actions or or more, Mm -hmm. possibly all three, but I'm going to throw all those things out the window because I don't think that there's enough evidence to, to, to drive us to believe that she's actually guilty of one or all of those things. But I think let's hone in on the Chiron disappearance. Because I think the thing here is to understand this case and to understand who the most likely suspect is, I think we have to understand who Terry Horman is. Terry Horman is a person that will do whatever she wants at any cost Mm -hmm. with no regard for anybody else. And when she does that and gets caught, she's going to do these things behind your back, Captain. And when she does them and she gets caught, then she's going to lie about it. Mm. And if she gets caught in her lie, she's going to change her story and she's going to weasel her way out of every situation that she looks guilty. And this is why I have a huge problem with Terry. And this is why I think she should be 
the prime suspect in the disappearance of Kyron Horman. Why? Because her stories keep changing. Mm -hmm. Everything that happened within this woman's life, every important thing that happened with this woman leading up to his disappearance and the day that he disappeared, her stories keep changing. Well, and she's very selfish. So we have a situation. Let's go through the first one, Mm -hmm. okay? We have her telling people at her gym, people that she works out with, other people that go to the gym, we have them telling, testifying in front of a grand jury that they were told by Terry Mm -hmm. that Kane forced Terry's son, James, to go live with either his grandparents or his father. But James's story, let's go, let's go get this directly from, from the person. James's story is that he went to go live elsewhere because he could not get along with his mother. Right. That's a completely different story. Those are her words. These are things she told people that they were willing to testify to. Then we have the failed polygraph. Okay. The multi. Two times she failed a polygraph test. Now, the thing that we hear most of the time is in her defense is that she is deaf in one ear. Mm-hmm. And this caused op- complications to those tests. Well, I heard she was deaf in one ear and she can't hear out of the other. <laughs> well, the other thing that she said early on in this situation was that she failed the first polygraph because it was taken the first week that Kyron had gone missing. Mm-hmm. And that she failed it because she was not sleeping or eating during this time because she was so upset about the situation and she was so worried about Kyron that she could not sleep or she could not eat. Right. Yet, your own words, Terry, three days later, within that same time frame, you post on Facebook, going to the gym. Guess what, Terry? I don't go to the gym when I'm not sleeping, when I'm not eating, when I'm too stressed out or too worried about a situation. Or even when he's feeling fine. Again, her words. And when that's good enough, when that's good enough, then she changes it. Oh, I can't hear out of my left ear. Okay. Now let's talk about questions as to why Terry's phone was pinging off of a tower on Savvy Island. Mm -hmm. When her first statements to police that she was nowhere near Savvy Island. Then years later, guess what she's saying now? Well, when I was out driving the kid around, I was on Route 30, which is very close to Savvy Island. Mm-hmm. No, Terry, you were either nowhere near Savvy Island or you were on Route 30. And I guess what? Even if you were on Route 30, maybe that explains the cell phone pings to me, but it doesn't explain to me why your story keeps changing. And then the final thing that I want to bring up is the last time that Terry said that she saw Kyron. He was by himself. He was in the hallway. He's walking towards his classroom. And then just three days later, we have you saying that he was with a strange man, with a person that I didn't recognize. Right. I, I'm sorry, Terry. That That is a way of pointing the investigators in one of those other options, not on Terry. This points them towards some strange man abducted this boy. Right. And I tell you what, you know, we, we talked about, I said, you know, when I've been questioned by police and they asked me something as simple as, did you see a brown car drive past? I would say, no, I didn't see a brown car because I didn't, but I'm going to tell them that I saw a blue car and I'm going to, and I saw a black car. Why? Because I did. Why? Because guess what? It's my duty as a citizen as a citizen to tell them everything that I saw during the tr- time frame that they are asking me, it's not up to me to decide the relevancy of the things I saw. Right. It's to pass on the information to law enforcement so they can determine 
the relevancy of what I saw. And if it means anything, that could mean something to them later in their investigation. Guess what? Terry, you were probably, if the, if the police, and of which I have to believe that they were, mm-hmm. and detectives were following protocol, they are going to ask you very specific questions. Where was the last time you saw him? What was the last time you saw him? Who was with him? Did you see anybody with him? Right. A boy, a girl, a man, a woman, a dog, a cat, a python, anything. A turtle. Yes. Did you see anything? The answer to those questions was no. And then magically three days later, he's with some strange man. This to me makes her the prime suspect in this case. 100%. Do you uh, need to take a break? I think I've said everything that I want to say. <laughs> you sure? Mm-hmm. You're, you look a little sweaty. <laughs> the, the, the colonel. <laughs> you always say, I'm not going to get heated up on this one. Eh, the colonel showed up to play. Well, and obviously, Captain, they don't have enough to bring Terry Horman up on charges of the disappearance of Chiron. Right. But they're still out there looking. There's still searches that are being conducted to this day. And I think someday they might find that thing that they're looking for. They might find Kyron somewhere, and I hope he's well. And when right. they do, we're gonna, I think we're going to find more evidence pointing towards the guilt of Terry Horman. You know, it would be awesome if they find him one day. I don't believe that's going to happen, uh, not find him alive. And uh, as much as I don't approve of what Kane did... Um, his parents are in a really tough spot with mm-hmm. life because Kane is always going to sit there and wonder, what if I was just faithful to my wife? What if I never met Terry? What if, you know, you know what I mean? What mm-hmm. if I would have saw these signs earlier? What if I was honest with myself when I saw these signs and told more people about it? What if, I wasn't so stubborn and I would have let him go live with his mother. And then the mother's going to think, well, why didn't I see this? Or what could I have done? So he, he wouldn't have left. Uh, could I, could I stay to make it work? What if I saw these signs? What if, what if I wasn't sick in the first place to let him go live with them? Mm-hmm. And all these, what ifs, um, that you can't change now. And I really feel for his parents and everybody that knew this wonderful kid he seemed like a wonderful kid, a ball of energy, and uh, and I hope for his sake that we have answers one day. All right, do we have a recommended reading for this week? This week we are recommending Women Who Kill Profiles of Female Serial Killers by Carol Ann Davis. She profiles 14 women who used all different methods of murder to kill their victims. Each killer is the subject of a separate chapter exploring their childhood, lifestyle, and sexuality. There is an analysis of the murder, the trial, and the imprisonment of every woman. The author comments on how society may underestimate dangerous women and what it is that can turn an ordinary woman into a killer. Women Who Kill by Carol Ann Davis is our recommended reading, but you don't have to jot that down right now because it is listed on our recommended page at truecrimegarage.com and check out all of our recommendations there. 
And I'm very excited about getting in the garage next week. We are taking a look at a case that has fascinated the captain for years. Yeah, one that we have covered before, but we're diving back into. So until next week, be good, be kind, and don't litter. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.